Welcome to the Untold Hour. This is the day that I finally share with you and YouTube wow. answer wow. our what? What you're about to say? Oh, oh! I thought you were teasing me. Our <laughs> um, Joan Rivers celebrity ghost story the story that kicked off this idea in the first place i've spent most of my day today um researching it because it was actually a lot more difficult than i thought it would be and uh but i feel like i'm gonna come through in the end here and this might just beat out the telly savala story i'll be the judge of that yeah you can be the judge of that Although they're both such colorful personalities, mm-hmm. um, it will be difficult to judge. Uh, I also, much like the Telly Savala story, I don't know anything about this Joan Rivers story. Um, unless once you one. start talking about it, it shakes something loose for me, but I am in the dark. I kind of want to take a moment to humble brag here. Sure. By telling you that I was so stoked to cover this that not only have I made all of these amazing notes, but I'm also giving you the ghost story as a backstory. I'm giving you a where they are now update. Perfect. I'm giving you other celebrity haunted houses, little like little tip, like dips, like nothing hardcore because I didn't want to steal anything away from you if you wanted to do a deep dive on one of these. <laughs> yeah. But just like, a, like, like an honorable mention list. And I've Man. already added all the links to all the sites that I've referenced, that I'm going to reference in this podcast on our Facebook page. So by the time you hear this, that should all be up and running. What an overachiever. Did I you t- do, totally you like went for it. Jesse Spano caffeine pills this week? <laughs> <laughs> How did you get to that? Holy shit, that's amazing. Well, level I did of functionality. A full half a pack, like a half a six pack. Or twelve pack of Pez sour candy, all oh in gosh. all in one go. So maybe that's the case. But yeah, Except- you're the only person I know that just regularly eats Pez. <laughs> yeah, but I eat oh. it without the um, the dispenser because that's what? just a- yeah. Well, no, you're not like I don't fuck the dispenser. It's just annoying. I want but the candy. Pez isn't good enough candy to not want the dispenser. The dispenser is the- what makes it. Good. I would agree, except for the Pez sour candy. Okay. The only Pez I eat on the reg, if I can find it, because they're kind of, you know, here and there, are the Pez sour. Wow. All right. I I will show you one day. You, Show me. I will bring them to you, and you shall partake of them, and you will be like, oh, fuck. You are right. <laughs> well... I will bring to you mm-hmm. the weird of the week. Oh shit, that transition, you bitch! That was great! Oh my god, I think that's the best transition you've ever had. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this first item for weird of the week is French woman ruled dead in 2017 is now fighting to be declared alive. Oh my so, god. I saw this headline pop up last week and then uh, and went searching to refind it this week. Luckily, I found it again. But after reading the article, I don't understand it 
much more than the headline. <laughs> a French woman uh, has been pronounced officially dead uh, after authorities seized her car over some unpaid debts. The reason this woman's status is deceased is the result of a court decision from 2017 that deemed her dead, although no death certificate was produced. And the decision by this court was made after a long legal dispute with a former employee of hers. <coughs> who... Sorry, I, I swallowed my wine down the wrong oh my pipe. God. <laughs> I'm drowning. <coughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> See if you can track this logic, because okay. when I read it this morning... <laughs> sorry. It's all good. Granted, I read it before I had my matcha, but I was still like, what? So the decision to declare her dead came at the end of a lengthy legal dispute with an employee of her former cleaning company who was seeking compensation after losing her job 20 years ago. The initial complaint in France's Prudhomme Workers Court misfired falling on this woman, Pushane is her last name, whose lawyer claims that her company had no responsibility for this co-worker's dismissal. A series of legal proceedings, decisions, and appeals followed all the way to a high court in France, which dismissed the case. And then according to Pushane and her attorney, snowballing errors in the judicial system ended by declaring... Pushane was not technically among the living. What? How are the, you, how, I have no <laughs> idea what's happening right now. How are okay. you doing after that drowning? Uh, uh, the drowning? I, I guess, okay. I mean, I can still feel it in, like sloshing around in my chest, but it'll get absorbed. It ev it'll get Choke, absorbed eventually. Choking on alcohol always hurts because it always burns. Yeah, that or I think the worst though is like when you accidentally drown in your own spit. Because you swallowed it wrong. Like, you can feel your body, like, self-imploding. And you're like, no, don't do it. Yeah. And then you do it anyway. And you're like, Ugh. Totally. Anyway, back to so, your dead woman. So who's not dead. I've, from what I can surmise, the long and short of it is that this woman got into a legal dispute with a former uh, employee, co-worker of this cleaning company. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> as it went up the courts, a series of judicial errors occurred that amounted to her being declared deceased. How yeah. you get a stack of errors that amounts to you being declared deceased is beyond me. But now they're refusing to overturn it. I mean, how insane would that make you? Her lawyer didn't believe her at What's first. their reasoning behind refusing to overturn it? Uh, just, just that there's now naturally like 30 other weird bureaucratic lines of bullshit in between her and getting it overturned. Ugh. Um, so anyway, they they have a bid in to overturn the previous judgment and they're waiting to see if that happens. That is what a waste crazy. of her fucking money too. you know like, what? And if I were for this, if she's paying for this, I would sue the city. Yeah. If I was her, was. I'd be like, cool. So if I'm not alive, then like, I'm gonna stop paying taxes. I'm gonna stop paying yeah. rent. Like I change my name. Ooh. Which brings me to Ooh. my next weird of the week. British man changes his name uh -huh. to Celine Dion. After I swear getting to God, drunk. we did not plan this. That is true. After getting drunk in lockdown, a super fan in Staffordshire uh, changed his name to Celine Dion. <laughs> his name was formerly Thomas Dodd. Mm. 
Um, this article is so cheeky. They say, but now he, his name is Celine Dion, and it's all coming back to him now <laughs> as to as to how uh. it happened. So he told uh, this website that he had had too many alcoholic beverages while watching a recording of a Celine Dion concert and filed to change his name as a result. He said, I am slightly obsessed with her. I'm not going to lie. During lockdown, I've been watching a lot of live concerts on the TV, and I can only think I've been watching one of hers and had a great idea. He's 30 years old, Mm -hmm. and he said after filing online, he received official paperwork a few days after Christmas and paid $90 for the change. But so he had the idea when he was drunk, but then when the actual forms came in, he was sober. And so he made a a decision. Totally. It seems like he actually made the decision to finalize it while sober. Mm -hmm. Um, So he can now use this new name uh, on a passport, driver's license and official documents. And he said, "I'll, I'll figure it out whether or not I'm changing my name back to Thomas, but I'm not in any rush. Uh, yeah. Good for him, dude. A, a rep for a rep for Celine Dion did not respond for comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Last item for Weird of the Week. This is crazy that this exists. Grave diggers get down and dirty at the International Grave Digging Competition. If you had to guess where a competition like this takes place, where would you guess? I would guess, honestly, I would guess either somewhere overseas, like England. Uh-huh. And I'm just, I don't know why England, but I don't know. Yeah. It seems like an English traditional thing to kind of take pride in. Right. Well, it takes place in Slovakia. Ooh, I'm pretty, <laughs> Europe, okay. Yeah. Um. So it was the second annual International Grave Digging Championships there are 11 two-member teams from Slovakia, Poland, and Hungary, and they get down and dirty to decide who can dig the best grave in the fastest time, and they're only allowed to use shovels and picks. Hmm. Um, it has to be five feet deep, six and a half feet long, and then three feet wide. But I thought the official depth to bury somebody had to be six feet. Yeah, I know. Weird. Five feet. Maybe that's uh, in Slovakia. They can be five feet. Five feet deep, six and a half feet long, three feet wide. Uh, the grave digging contest is meant to put the fun back into the funeral industry. Three feet wide. That seems thin. Yeah. This whole exhibition. Do they bury them sideways? <laughs> like, I know. It doesn't seem fun? like very much, does it? That's not a whole bunch right. of. I mean, that's tight. Just It feels like coffins are bigger than that. Yeah. Um, the whole exhibition is about getting groups of funeral companies together and show the world how hardworking people are behind the funeral industry. Um, Gravel and stones, you have to remove about 20 to 30 centimeters of gravel and stones. And the dirt is kind of different along the area. So it's not really fair. Each team is going to get different dirt. Somebody could slam right into a giant rock. I guess. Anyway, I mean, I guess that's like, you know, you never know what you're going to run into when you're actually digging a grave. Yes. Right. So that's kind of the shtick, right? It's like that's the some shtick. days you're lucky and some days you're not. Yeah. Um the w- Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was about to announce the winners. Huge news. Oh yeah, uh, give it to me. The winners were Slo- Slovakian brothers Ladislav and Saba Skladin. They were 43 and 41 and they dug a perfect grave in 50 
four minutes. And it was also the neatest. 15 years on the job, these these brothers have. Very nice. Yep. I was. It's ah, so why funny. didn't you? You should have said that like Borat. It would have been the perfect end. Oh, sorry. I don't really know how to do that voice very well. Um, <laughs> very it's nice. funny that you. <laughs> yeah, very nice. It's funny that you mentioned this because during one of my many many drives during uh, part one of our Expedition X filming season of this year. Yeah. Um. You know, you just have you chit chat about dumb shit in the car and you have these, you know, and you're sitting there driving. And so your mind kind of wanders. And I was trying to think up like, what am I going to do when I'm like, what kind of job would I like at the end of all this? You know, Uh I don't know. All this being, I guess, the entertainment industry. And I was and it was I came up with the answer being either it's going to be I was thinking truck driver because I actually had an an amazingly fun time driving across the United States. Yeah. Like I loved it. I was I was having a fucking blast. Yeah. Um so truck driver cuz I was like, well, I'll do this for money. Um as long as I don't have to actually like put the shit in the truck and take it off. Sure. You know, if there's like people to load and unload and I'm the only, and I just have to drive, fucking consider me in. Yeah. So I was thinking that and then I was thinking um then I was thinking grave digger because I, you know, I love cemeteries. I go them, I go there to them, go there to them. I go there them. I go there. Yeah, you <laughs> I don't go know there. why I'm having a hard time with this. I go there to like relax. It's like a place I choose to be on my downtime sometimes. Yeah, and but I don't want to deal with the people part of it. I just want to deal with the landscaping digging part of it. You know what else, what other job I think you would like? And we mm. interviewed, while you were out of town, we had a guest on this very show who is a, um, I already forgot the title, but she does makeup, restorative oh, yeah, yeah. artist. Yeah, I remember you talking to me about her. I bet you would be a good restorative artist, like restoring bodies for burial, for, for, for uh, yeah. open casket. So I was thinking about that. And I think the problem there is the goal, right, is to make the person look as much as they would normally look in real life or in when they were alive. And I think I could do it, but I feel like with the amount of makeup I've had to do on my own face and how I visualize doing that myself, like I would mm-hmm. in I would inadvertently always make everybody just look like me. Like I would only like I would do their makeup the way that I do my makeup, which would inevitably make them look right. weird because the only makeup I've ever done has been my own. You know, like well, I feel you, like that would yeah. be weird. But you would probably have training to not do that. Well, yeah, that's true. Too. Yeah, I'd have <laughs> or to get you would just some get, training. You'd have to get kicked out of mortuary school because you made everybody look like you. Mm-hmm. Mortuary school dropout. But you know who did not da, have da, a difficult da, time. Da, 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 da. Doing makeup. Who? Joan Rivers. Joan <laughs> Rivers. Well, Joan Rivers never. Well, yes, she did do her own makeup because I watched her documentary and I think she was doing her own. Uh, my guess is she probably did 50% and then everybody else yeah. did 50%. You know, after a while, it's so funny, like getting involved in entertainment industry, you're all like, I want to I wanna be successful enough that I have like a hair and makeup people 
And then you actually get that successful and you have hair and makeup people and you're like, and I you want, do it I don't want them to ever touch me again. <laughs> yeah. Or you find somebody that you really, really like and you hire them for everything. Yeah. But in general, it's like, no, no, I don't want, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, yeah, because I've had a I've had a lot of very good makeup artists, and I've had a lot of real bad makeup artists. Yeah, uh, and also you know, now for the show that I'm shooting now, the Expedition X stuff, we're out in the woods so much and just sweating and doing all this crazy stuff that I barely I don't even wear makeup half the time. I basically just slap some concealer on my eyes so I don't look dead and then go out. Yeah. Do you have a little like to go pack on you of just, you know, like just powder compact and, and yeah, honestly, yeah. it's powder lip gloss and that's kind of it. Yeah. So speaking of Joan Rivers. Time. It is time. Time to dive into this. You guys, I am so stoked. So let me preface all of this with, uh, I thought this was going to be an easy research project because I actually heard about her ghost story through the television show that I'm going to mention here in a second. And I, you know, and it, I don't know why it made such an impression on me, but I remembered it. And then when you go to search the story, because I saw it a long time ago, when you go to search uh-huh. for it, it you the only thing that really pops up from the show is this little snippet that you can watch on YouTube. And I did post that to um, our notes that are going to be going live. But it's like the, the tiniest little bite-sized bit of information that you can see. And my guess is because it's from Reels. And my guess is because they want you to buy their streaming service. Oh, yeah. So um, so when you search for it, there's basically that snippet from Reels on YouTube uh, that ends abruptly because they want you to stream it. Or there's like a couple articles, but they're like articles talking about how she mentioned her story this one time on this television show. Right. Like none of the details, except at the last second when I was just about to give up and try and find a new story. I did find an article where I guess like a mega fan must have seen the show and essentially like verbatim transcribed it. I mean, like, so I'm going. So keep in mind that we're going to tackle this in three parts. The main part is going to be her story, which is basically from this person's article, as well as like the little snippet that I was able to find from um, the YouTube thing and a couple other uh, articles that were talking about her apartment. And then we're going to give you like a where is they, where are they now situation um, since she passed away, I think, in 2014 off the top of my head. Like th- things have mm-hmm. obviously changed uh, hands and what's going on with that. And then I thought while I was looking, there was another article that popped up that was all about like um, other haunted houses. So I thought I'd just give like a couple yeah. of those a shout out. So in the TV show, My Celebrity Ghost Story, which, like I said, you can see a snippet of on YouTube uh, in 1984, so I have seen this show up as 1984. I've seen it show up as uh, other dates as well. So she had been fired by, she She basically says she's in the middle of a rough time of her life in 1984. She just got fired from, I think, the uh, Tonight Show by Johnny Carson. They had a huge falling out. Um, well, yeah, because people said that maybe she was going to take over for him, right? So she. So based on the documentary I watched with her, I did not rewatch it for this, but if I remember correctly, she was supposed to take over. She was essentially his 
Andy Richter. And everybody figured she was a shoe in to take over. And then she got her own, she was offered her own late night show separate from the Johnny Carson show. And she took that because she felt like the Johnny Carson thing, like he wasn't going to retire anytime soon. And yeah, she would maybe potentially take over, but like, how long is that going to take? Like he's not going anywhere. And she was right. Like he stuck around on that show for forever. Jay Leno was the one that took over. And I think he took over in the like mid to late eighties. So, um, so she, or actually maybe even later than that, maybe in the nineties. So then I think she it was nineties. Yeah. Nineties. So she took, God, remember when he was famous? Cause he had, he was doing Dorito commercials. What a trip. Yeah. So um, she then accepted her own show, and then apparently Johnny Carson got really pissed about it and basically, you know, blackballed her. And she wasn't able to get hired anywhere because he just, you know, didn't want, like, was, like, trying to punish. Well, from her perspective, which I have no reason to not believe, he was basically trying to punish her, like, see, you wouldn't be anywhere without me kind of attitude. Although she does say in a couple articles that you can see floating around the web that despite that, he also was like the only one that would say to people like, she's truly talented. She's really good. Like, you know, he both kind of like he madman style, you know, like with uh, yeah. with Peggy and uh, John, John Hamm's Don. character. I can't. Yeah. Don where it's like he wanted to kind of have her work for him all the time, but was all and like kind of shit on her stuff, but then also acknowledged that she was good. Yeah. The weirdest form of like professional gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she, so I've seen this date. The point is, is I've seen this date shown up in some articles as 1984. I've seen it as 1986 or 1987. But essentially, she's in the middle of a rough time of her life. She's been fired from the Johnny Carson uh, uh, show or and or she got fired from her own talk show. Needless to say, she feels like her career is falling apart. Um, and I believe her husband had just committed suicide. Oh my gosh! I didn't yeah, know she that. had a she had a husband that committed suicide, and it was like a year after he died. Wow. And then she herself basically, you know, was her. Ver- I mean, she says she was broke. She managed to buy this huge apartment, but um, but she was broke. She said, uh, for the most part, she didn't know when the next paycheck was coming in. She wasn't finding any jobs. You know, she was being black uh, blacklisted. And uh, she she um, she just felt like everything in her life was was going down the shitter. So she basically took what was left of her money, um, ditched L.A. and headed to New York, New York City. And she moved into a penthouse triplex, which basically contained the top three floors of the building at one East 62nd Street on the Upper East Side of New York City. Now, when you look at this place now, you're like, damn, there's no way this woman was broke. Right. But at the time when she moved out there, this apartment complex that she bought into was like disgusting. Okay. It was rough. There were like pigeons living in the rafters. Mm-hmm. Like it was trashed. And uh, but she she fell in love with it. 
And so she bought the place. The entire place was in shambles. She felt like she was drawn to it as if the apartment's current state was like kind of a reflection of her own life. And that if she brought the beauty back out in the apartment, it kind of would turn her life around as well. So she she owned all three units? She owned all three units. It was a ballroom at the very top and then like the two floors below it or two units below it or something. Um, But the ballroom's the important part to remember. Okay. So she, like I said, she felt drawn to it. She felt like, um, you know, the apartment's current state of it falling apart was kind of a reflection of her own life. And if she managed to bring the beauty back out in this apartment, the same thing would happen in her life. And she was really excited. Like, she was stoked for this. Like, she was into it. Mm-hmm. So she pours all of her money that she has left over that she that she left L.A. with into refurbishing this place and then was so enamored of it that she would often go there alone late at night after all the workmen had left just to kind of wander around and feel hopeful and enjoy like the the possibilities of what she could do with this place and uh you know she was just like this was her shot to be happy like she was kind of starting over so the first kind of hint that something is up happens on labor uh, labor day weekend so it's a labor day weekend and she decides that she's going to go look at the new place because it bring it, she, you know, it makes her happy, and she brings yeah. her little Yorkie along for the first time, and it fucking refuses to cross mm. the threshold. This is the kind of dog that just follows her all over the place, doesn't need to have a leash on, like just love, 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 love. Like I gotta be by mom. Yeah. And this thing refuses to cross into the apartment, mm. and just sits and waits for her outside it's the like door. It's like the canary in the in the mine. Yeah, it totally is. So. She's like, well, that's weird, but whatever. So she ends up leaving the dog at the front door, and it, this lovely dog just sits and waits for her. I'm like, oh, I want a dog like that. Um, so it's waiting for her. She walks inside, and she she mentions in hindsight that um, looking back on it, that was kind of the first indication of that something odd was going on with the place, but she didn't think of anything anything about it at the time. So she's, like, walking around. She's checking things out. Things are weird. She starts noticing all this, like, what looks like writing on the walls that she at first kind of assumes is the construction workers, but then realizes like, no, this seems weird. Like this isn't like, this isn't anything. It's just like scratching. It looks like lettering, but it doesn't really say anything. And so she's like, that's odd. And then it's also really cold in the apartment. And this is New York city in the middle of August at night. So if you've ever been to New York, I know you have because you lived there, but for our yeah. listeners, if you've ever been to New York City in the summertime. Swampy. Swampy. Like there is just, it is like miserable. Yeah. And this place is so cold that it's uncomfortable and there's no air on. Huh. Like this place is an aban- is essentially like one step above an abandoned building. Like there's no air in this apartment and it's mm-hmm. freezing. So she's like, that's really weird. This is hot August night. Like, there's no reason like it should be this cold. So as she's leaving the apartment after walking around in the middle of the night, she happens to mention to the elevator guy slash doorman, like, oh, you know, this is so like, this is so weird. Um, How cold the apartment is, uh, how the dog's not going to enter the place and how it looks like somebody's been writing on the walls. Like they're just chatting. And the doorman tells her, well, I guess Mrs. Spencer is back. And she's like, uh, excuse me, what? What, who? <laughs> so the guy gives her kind of the lowdown. He's like, Mrs. Spencer was the niece of J.P. Morgan. Back when Mrs. Spencer lived there, she owned the entire building and lived there her whole life until her death seven years before Joan moved in. 
which is super confusing wow. because I didn't get an exact date, right? And I also tried to find out who's the niece of Mrs. of J.P. Morgan named Mrs. Spencer, and I only found one woman whose maiden name was Spencer in any of their genealogy, and it couldn't possibly be her because she died in the 1800s. So I don't know. So assuming that huh. if assuming that the 1984 date is correct then I guess what, Mrs. Spencer would have died in 1977? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Seven years, yeah. But that's assuming if 84 is correct. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners could, like, narrow it down. I couldn't figure it out. But anyway, he said, like, basically, the day before Mo Joan moved in, seven years previous to that, Mrs. Spencer died. And as she got older, she would move further and further up the stairs of this house and rent out the floors below and then eventually she ended up living in the ballroom that Joan now currently owns and is trying to refurbish. And that's where she died. So he said that um, he said that. Aside from Joan up to that point, other people had had experiences in the house and, quote, would do things to people in that house. And he told her a few examples um, apparently a neighbor on a different floor had this amazing chandelier with cherubs all over it. And she came home one night and every single cherub's head had been cut off from the chandelier, even though the chandelier was still hanging on the ceiling. Whoa. And it was only the cherub heads. And they were all like on the floor. And she's like, what? Wow. And that happened while she, her and her husband were out. And then another neighbor saw a couple in like full formal evening attire descend like one of the main staircases in the building and she said good evening to them and then headed out and on and asked the doorman along the way, like, who's who's that group? Like, who are those people? And he said, like, who was who? Because he didn't see them. He's like, what are you talking about? So he never saw the people. And then another neighbor at one point was actually thinking about buying the ballroom that Joan eventually took over and said that when she walked in to take a look at it, she saw a couple in full evening dress dancing in the room. So she assumed somebody had rented it. And so she went back to the woman that was showing her the apartment and said, you know, it's rented. There are people dancing in there. Yeah. And the lady's like, what are you talking about? So then they both went back inside to see who it was and what was going on in there. And there was nobody inside. That's some straight so, like, haunted mansion shit. Full on fucking apparitions. Like this is like hardcore stuff. Yeah. So Joan goes up. Joan continues to move in like she has no options, really, like all her money is sunk into this place. So she goes in and she says that the place just never felt right, especially after she knew this information. She, she said you could never get fully comfortable in the apartment, no matter how much you would crank up the heat. It would always be like slightly too cold. Yeah. Her dog would refuse to come in unless she like dragged him in. And would scratch at the door and bark nonstop until he could get out. Like, he did not want to be there. Like, she just basically, you know, her dog, yeah. hated, like, hated this place. She knew what was up. That dog knew what was up. That Yorkie was like, fuck this. So Joan, who is now a widow and obviously didn't have much in the way of job prospects, like we talked about earlier, didn't really know what to do. She'd sunk her, all her money into this place and she didn't have a ton of options. She's kind of stuck there. Like she's got to see this through. Like a, a parent, you know, like I guess really her only option is, OK, I'm going to refurbish it and maybe I can flip it. And that's kind of it. But, you know, there's no guarantee she's going to make her money back. 
Uh-huh. Like, I don't know what that area was like back in the 80s when she bought it, but my guess, you know, if it was that decrepit when she moved in, my guess is not great. So even yeah. though it became like a hot commodity later on in life, not necessarily, you know, I don't know what it would have been back then. Do you feel like uh, there would be a uh, responsibility to disclose? Like, you've got to tell somebody when they buy a property if there was a death on the property. But what if there were ghosts? She didn't. Like, she well, would have to say, so-and-so Spencer died here, but does she, would you sell somebody a house knowing that there were straight-up dancing ghosts in it? I think you have to disclose that now. Well, but not the ghost stuff, right? Because I, think you, I people- think you might. I think you what? might. If there's, like, an actual... I think there's been a few lawsuits where people have actually gotten their money back from buying haunted properties because the people that sold it to them didn't disclose the haunting. I don't know how that gets kicked into gear. Like, at what point is yeah? Can you say okay, it's been long enough? But, but I don't know. Why don't you look that up while I continue to tell the story? Because I'm pretty sure you have to disclose that now. I'm also gonna have to look up my hamburger as I put it into my mouth. Just so you know. (laughs) You know, you fucker, I just cooked and burned my own <laughs> wrist making enchiladas for this family, and I am I not eating get, them because I'm doing the podcast. I know. I had to get food because right after this, I have to do stuff for my wife, and I'm not going to be able to make... I, I'm going to make dinner for her, and I'm not going to have any time. It's I have to eat right now. That's the point. All right, whatever. Go ahead and eat. I'm going to continue. But I'm also going to look up haunted house sales disclosures. Disclosure. All right, well, then I'm going to continue on with this story. Wait, I have the answer already. Sorry. Oh, shit. Okay. Nine states have laws around the the disclosure of a death on the property. But that's crazy. Only nine states. In California, sellers must disclose a death on the property if it occurred within three years. And in Alaska, uh, a death within one year must be disclosed. But there are no laws existing that mention supernatural, paranormal occurrences, etc. You know, it's so funny at the start of COVID when I was like, fuck this place, I want to move. We were looking at houses for a while and there was this awesome house that I wanted to move to that looked like it was straight out of the video game Mist. And and I asked our real estate agent about it and he's like, well, I got to tell you that the agent, their agent told me that the guy that owned the place died on the property. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I want it more now. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm like, well, wait. Cool, I'll pay oh, more. Aristotle, that's the link I'm in. Aristotle sent us a link, but that's what I was reading from. But it, it does say that in New Jersey, if you ask whether or not there there are any stigmas or anything of psychological impact, they have mm-hmm. to tell you. I'm into that's it. So weird. I know Sorry, in New I'm Orleans. Also, oh my gosh, I'm getting haunted. My cat. Yeah, my cat just came into the garage. Well, I also know in New Orleans, they actually advertise apartments as haunted. They're like, oh, you want this haunted sure. apartment? We'll sell it to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. Oh, for okay. sure. Well, okay. if you want to continue to solve that mystery, I'll move on to the next thing. So needless to say, Joan's a widow. Uh, she doesn't have a lot in the way of job prospects because everybody is trying to block her out of Hollywood. She doesn't know what to do. She sunk all of her money into this place and she doesn't have a ton of options. So she's freaking out. So here's her quote. The fear was suddenly about a whole new thing. It wasn't about my husband's suicide and it wasn't about that I was out of work and it wasn't about that I had no money and didn't know where my next job was coming from. What I was focusing on was suddenly totally different. 
So this is all going down and she decides that she's going to call up the New York University Parapsychology Department, which I didn't even know existed and I want to be a part of now. And she asks for their help and they basically tell her, sorry, we don't handle stuff like that. So she's like, what, what do they the handle? What you? Exactly. She's like, what are you talking about? You're the parapsychology department. But they basically refer her to this New Orleans voodoo priestess and tell her, like, if you can reach out to her, maybe she'll be able to help you. There should be. They basically say, like, we can't we shouldn't be telling you this, but here's this lady. And if you talk to her, maybe she can help. So Joan's totally desperate wow. to stay in this house. So she calls this priestess uh, named Sally Ann Glassman and Sally Ann agrees to come and help. So this is the night of the ceremony. So, so Joan says it's like something out of a bad movie. There's uh, Sally Ann's there. She's doing the ceremony. There's lots of chanting, talking, and drumming. She's totally freaked out. Uh, Joan's totally freaked out. Sally Ann tells Joan that Mrs. Spencer is very angry, that she still considers herself owner of the house and the grand dom well, of the home. sorry. I don't I'm like, okay. I'm like, I don't know what to it. tell you. But, <laughs> but that's what Mrs. Spencer thinks. Yeah. And that she doesn't like what's being done to the house. Quote, unquote, it's my home. It's my building. Who are these people are supposedly what she's telling Sally Ann. She says about an hour and a half into this ceremony, Sally Ann lets out the scream, turns to Joan and tells her she's gone. Joan says that at that moment, the apartment immediately warmed up. The Yorkie, who would refuse to be in the home at all, then was standing outside of the door doorway and watching all of this stuff goes down. The minute that happens for the first time in like five months, the Yorkie walks through the door of its own accord and walks over to Joan without her calling it. So the Yorkie's <laughs> like, this chick took we're off good. Uh -huh. and we're good. I'm in like, I didn't want to be outside either. It's two 30 AM at this point, And Joan and Sally Ann decide that they're going to go around to their other neighbors in the building and see if they also want help. So could you imagine 2.30 in the morning, you get a knock on your door in your apartment and it's Joan Rivers and she's asking if you want to have <laughs> an exorcism done in your room, in your home with this voodoo priestess. I fucking totally. wish I lived there. Yeah, that'd be so a dream come so true. That's the that's exactly what she does. She goes around at around 2.30 in the morning, starts ringing on all of her neighbors' doorbells and knocks on their doors, introduces herself, tells them all who she is, what she does, uh, introduces uh, Sally Ann as her voodoo priestess friend from New Orleans, tells them her story regarding Mrs. Spencer and what she's had to deal with for the last five months and why she's doing this, and then asks them if they would like help clearing their apartments too. And Joan says that not a single person refused. Every single one of them had a story. Oh, wow. They all accepted Wow. this help. So Sally Ann does it. She cl cleanses everybody else's apartments and then starts heading back to New Orleans. Joan moves it back into her place. They don't say how long it takes for things to go bad again, but Mrs. Spencer's back. She's coming back. She's pissed. So all these bad vibes are coming back again. Problems are happening. The dog starts becoming unhappy and refusing to come in some more. The place starts getting cold again, refuses to get warm. Nothing electrical that she owns ever seems to work properly. She's just at her wit's end and she basically begins to cry and talks out into the ether like, Mrs. Spencer, please leave me alone. She's like, Mrs. Spencer, I am a widow. All my money is in this apartment. You can't do this to me. You must, must, must leave me in peace. It's yeah. like she's just fucking done. Like she like there's nothing else Junk thinks she could possibly do. Right. 
So a short out, out time. Of yeah, she's out of options. A short time later, after, you know, kind of hitting rock bottom with the situation, she is in the basement with the handyman working on something. And she comes across this portrait, this painting of a portrait that's been shoved behind some old drywall. And she says the minute that she laid eyes on it, she immediately knew it was her. It was Mrs. Spencer. And she show, and sure enough, to, like, to confirm her suspicions, she shows it to the doorman who says, yep, that's Mrs. Spencer. That's her. So Joan then takes the portrait, cleans it up, and hangs it in the lobby of their building. Why? And that's like the, that could be the thing that's connecting her spirit. Well, it is. But Joan pulls it off. Because the like pretty much shortly thereafter, like a quick turnaround time after she hangs it in the lobby, the voodoo priestess Sally Ann calls Joan and says that she had gotten a visit from Mrs. Spencer and that Mrs. Spencer wanted to convey the message to her that she was very pleased that Joan had brought her back into her home and that she was very happy with what Joan had done with the ballroom and that she likes that Joan keeps flowers there. So that was 18 years ago. From when Joan is telling the story, because obviously she's passed away. And she goes on to say that since that moment, the portrait of Mrs. Spencer still hangs in the apartment lobby. Whether it does right now or not, I don't know. But at that time that Joan was telling the story to this television show, it was still up in the lobby. And that Joan continues to keep flowers in the ballroom and that she feels the presence of Mrs. Spencer visiting her every night. She comes around 3 or 4 a.m. The dog wakes up. And Joan feels a presence in the room, and she always makes sure and says, hello, Mrs. Spencer. Wow. Which part of me is like, dude, that's rude that, you know, like two, 3 or 4 a.m. to get woken up every single night. Like, it's come on, also, Mrs. Spencer. It's always wild that ghosts never just tell you. They don't just say, hey, you know what would help? Flowers in the ballroom and painting in the lobby. And Like, just yeah. tell me. Instead yeah. of it, it being this guessing game of like, what would make the spirit happy? What would appease you? Totally. I would agree with that. Like, just be straightforward. But mm-hmm. but Joan figured it out. Or maybe, you know, but then you get people that are like, well, she did tell her by, like, Joan would, you know, everybody else had been living in that apartment complex for how long? And they never got the, they never saw the painting. They never got mm-hmm. the idea for it, blah, 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 blah. Who mm-hmm. knows? Either way, problem solved. So where are they now? Here's my background of where are they now. So since Joan's passing in 2014, Joan's ballroom apartment on 1 East 62nd Street, which I did post a link to and a picture to over on the Facebook group page. So if you want to check out what it looks like, you can. Uh, was bought by Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Fad in 2015 for $28 million. <laughs> Holy crap. And he immediately started planning to have it gutted. So Joan, if you look, they have pictures of how Joan decorated it. And she decorated it very ornate, very like Versailles, palace, gold, you know, marble everywhere. And and I actually think it's beautiful. It's exactly what you would expect an old New York ballroom to look like. Yeah. But apparently he doesn't like it. So he's planned to get it gutted. I couldn't find anything more recent saying whether or not he saw it through. I know the the apartment complex, the other neighbors and everybody were concerned, not only because of like the amount of noise, but all this other stuff. So I, I'm assuming maybe they put up a fight to not have all of that 
refurbishment done, but it I couldn't yeah. find anything that said whether or not he actually managed to accomplish it, only that he bought the place. So Joan's daughter, Melissa Rivers, also mentioned that while cleaning up her mother's belongings, this is just like a fun fact that I saw, and I was like, oh my God. Uh, after cleaning out her, as she was cleaning out her mother's belongings from the apartment, she found wads of cash hidden throughout the apartment in random places, including milk dud boxes after somebody had tipped her off that her mother used to use those boxes as wallets when she would travel. And she's like, holy shit, I've been throwing those boxes out thinking they were oh, trash and there's my money gosh. inside of them. <laughs> yeah. So what? there's that story. Um, Joan actually remained good friends with her voodoo priestess, Sally Ann Glassman, all the way up to her death. From that point on. That's cool. They were friends. Uh, the 22-year-old friendship and basically ended with Sally Ann rushing to Joan's side after Joan slipped into a coma during surgery, which is what she died from. Wow. Sally Ann went on to say that Joan, and I'm air quoting right now, spoke to her as she was dying and said that she was okay with dying. Quote, this is like a quote that Sally Ann said that Joan said to her. I'm not going to fight my way back from all of this only to have to die again. I'm 81 years old. I'm just going to check out. I'm at the top of my career. I'm at the top of my game. Goodbye. Which totally does sound like a Joan Rivers thing to say. Like mm-hmm. that that tracks. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously Sally Ann could be making this up because she also knew Joan Rivers for a long time. And so, you know, probably. Yeah could tell what the intentions would be, but I I like to think that it's true. That's cool. That's a cool story. That is cool. So that's the end of my Joan Rivers story, but I wanted to give some honorable mentions of other cool things that I was looking at in case the Joan Rivers story wasn't going to pan out. So Jane Mansfield's Pink Palace supposedly was haunted by Jane after her death in 1964 when she got into the car accident. Ringo Starr once lived there and had the pink walls painted over many, 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 many times. But the pink paint kept seeping through almost as if Jane didn't want anybody to cover up her favorite color because her whole place was pink. That's cool. Another owner of the Pink Palace after Jane's death was singer Engelbert Humperdinck, who had also known her while she was still alive. And he said that her spirit actually manifested itself in front of him. Although he didn't go into detail as to what, what she was doing or why she, you know, if she was trying to say anything to him or if he just happened upon, you know her in a in a place in her place wow. um the house unfortunately was demolished in 2002 which is a bummer country legend loretta lynn's home in hurricane mills tennessee is haunted by a woman whose baby died and then loretta's son claims to have seen the ghost of a civil war soldier pulling off of his boots pulling Whoa. off his boots sorry i said that weird um she actually had her house covered by Ghost Adventures on TV. So you could probably still see that episode somewhere. Marilyn Monroe's home at 12305 5th Helena Drive here in Brentwood, California is supposedly haunted by her uh, since her mysterious death there in 1962. And then this one struck me as totally odd because I, I don't know. It just did. Like I wouldn't, it's just so modern sounding. Adele's mansion in West Sex. West Sussex, England, has had apparently so many unexplained noises and occurrences of weird stuff that she actually hired a bodyguard to stay with her because she got so scared. Wow. I don't know if she still lives there or not, but that's, you know, what this article said. (coughs) 
Wow. So that is my you know, celebrity ghost story. What it makes me, I hesitate to even put this out into the universe, but the Joan Rivers story makes me want like a prestige level show where these celebrity ghost stories are are actually dramatized, but like in a good way, not like in a cheesy way. And I hate to say like Ryan Murphy could do an anthology of them, but mm. that type of thing, like that I whole mean, thing could be an episode of television that would be really well done. Even the fact that she was friends with her, that priestess until she died. Yeah, if I remember correctly, back to when I saw the episode, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like, Super high-end Ryan Murphy style. But considering you're talking to celebrities, yeah, it wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. I mean, it basically was the actual celebrity giving their version of the story. It wasn't like you had a reenactor trying to be them or that you got it like third party. It was them sitting in a room, dramatically lit, telling their story. And they were, you know, I mean, I suppose they could be pulling everybody's leg and they're actors and actresses. So, you know, they, they know how to emote so they could be faking it. But you kind of like it's it's pretty neat to see them respond yeah. and tell their story because you're like, oh, no, I think you're legit, like telling the truth or at least their totally. version of the truth. Right. Like, I don't think they're trying to pull a fast one, especially her. Hers was really really interesting and really unique because she just gave it in a very matter-of-fact way. They did yeah. have some dramatization, nothing phenomenal, but that also was good because they also weren't... Holy God, that was so loud. Jesus Christ. That was super spooky, too. Yeah, that kind of scared me. <laughs> oh, my God, that kind of scared me. Uh, but the point I was trying to make was, you know, in their reenactments... They kept it so simple that it actually worked because they weren't trying to sell you on the bullshit. They were yeah. just like, this is the story. This is what she would do. There'd totally. be like, Take you know, some atmosphere, st atmospheric stuff, but, but, um, but nothing too, too nuts. Although I would say mm -hmm. that if like how you're talking about like a Wormwood documentary style where you've got a lot of like good talent involved in yeah. these reenactments and maybe you're seeing reference. it from like a third person perspective. That would be dope. Yeah. In relation to the Telly Savala story, mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. I would say I liked them both equally for different reasons. I think Telly Savalas's is more scary to me. I was going to say, Telly Savalas's is creepier. Mm -hmm. So it it's a better like fireside tale. Mm -hmm. But I also kind of like how pragmatic the... Uh, the Joan Rivers one is, is like, mm -hmm. she needed to fucking get this thing taken care of. Love the idea of her going to the parapsychology department. Makes me think of Ghostbusters when they get shut down in the beginning. Yeah. And I love that they refused her because you're like, who, who yeah. would think that, who would think to make that detail up? Yeah, totally. You know? And that she had to go to a, uh, a voodoo priestess. Um, and then I like that it, like I said, that it, it turned into a friendship that lasted her whole life. I don't know. Yeah. I think I like the Joan Rivers one better uh, because of the amount of details and kind of how long running the story is. Plus, yeah. we don't know. Maybe when that prince or whoever bought it, the story might have continued. Yeah, I could. I mean, that's what a lot of the articles, when it was announced that the prince bought her house, that's uh -huh. what all the news stories would would latch on to. All of a sudden, everybody remembered about the Joan River haunted 
home story. Yeah. And so that the angle was he bought it for this much money, but who knows? The ghost might have other plans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. You know, but yeah. um, but it didn't yeah. go. I couldn't find anything past that. I mean, yeah. In my defense, I didn't do a huge deep dive into it because I was trying to get this done in time for us to record. Yeah. But um, but you know, I mean, I I did some pretty straightforward search terms that should have brought something up, but I I didn't find anything too yeah too unique. That's super. Cool, I'm actually though. more curious as to I'm so bad with following genealogy, and I'm very curious to try and figure out which J.P. Morgan niece they're talking about. Yeah. You think I'm it so- would have been easy to find, but for some reason, I just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, for sure. I searched Mrs. Spencer. I searched the address Mrs. Spencer. I searched Mrs. Spencer Morgan. I tried to look at J.P. Morgan's genealogy tree, but I couldn't find anything that would match up. Um, I mean, the only thing that would ever pop up were the articles I was already reading about the Joan Rivers ghost story, which yeah. makes me suspect, I mean, that maybe she is making it up, but right. I don't know why you would... I mean, what a, I mean, if she was, what a great fucking story she wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's true. amazing. So listen to this. Uh, this whole, there's a whole chart uh, that lists whether or not mention of the paranormal is listed in the real estate laws on the books for that state. Because most of the time it doesn't even mention it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but in Massachusetts, it mentions it. It says the seller doesn't need to disclose psychologically affected property, including an alleged parapsychology- parapsychological or supernatural phenomenon. Minnesota has a similar mention in their laws. Seller doesn't need to disclose any fact that doesn't affect the buyer's use or enjoyment of the property, including perceived paranormal activity. New Jersey says seller does not need to disclose psychological impairments, the property you, being haunted. Are you going through sh- all 50 states? No, I'm just going to read like one more. But <laughs> okay. seller should discla- disclose known information if the buyer asks. That's honestly pretty much it. It's those three. Oh, no. And in New York, um, a seller does not need to disclose that the house was the site of a homicide, suicide, or accident. They get specific about, you know, they don't have to say beyond death. Got it. What happened. So, yeah, you can sell your house even if it's haunted AF, dude. Who cares? Sell it to me. I'll buy it. Yeah. Did you see the Lizzie Borden's house is for sale? We talked about it. Oh, we did. I can't remember. I talked about it to a couple (laughs) people. I can't remember who I talked about it with and who I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Yep. So that's that's the Joan Rivers story we've been talking about or been leading up to uh, for this this month, this thing. Hell yeah. Um, Guys... Guys being Untoldians listening to this, I am actually out for the next week and a half. So I think the next two weeks of us recording yeah, uh, to shoot part two of uh, Expedition X. So Bowser's going to be taking over for the next two episodes. Um, I told him that I think he should do one of the listener stories. Since that's I think that's what- great. I think that's what I should do next week. Yeah. One episode of listener stories, not only to give you a somewhat easy time of it, but also because we promised and I never delivered on yeah. that. But then also we need to come up with another theme for uh, what comes after January, February. February, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, you know, all the days merge at this point. I know. I don't even know. Like 2020 was just its own long day. Yeah, I've blinked that out completely already. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, what what? All right. I mean, impulse wise, just because I got to get going here because my kid is uh, dying for me to get off the computer. Yeah. Impulse wise, like knee jerk reaction. What do you think our next theme should be? Well, you know, I wouldn't be against something kind of true crimey because I just watched the Night Stalker documentary. Mm-hmm. And I think what surprised me was how little I knew about that that killer. So I don't know if there's something to be said about lesser known serial killers. Um, like, do you even do you even know the name of the most prolific American serial killer? He killed uh, between eighty and ninety people. Mm-mm. His name's Sam Little. Wait, what was his nickname? Did he have that, one? I, I don't think he had one. He killed not over really. so many years, and um, with that and, many people, how come he's not more well known? Like, like than Dom? Well, that's or one Ted of the Bundy. things. That's one of the things I'd like to talk about is why some of these killers aren't more well-known. And I've got some theories. Um, but So I don't know if there's something in the serial killer zone without it getting too heavy that we could do. Um, what about old-timey serial killers, like Victorian era, like hardcore old stuff? Yeah. That way, some, we, don't, that way we don't have to feel as guilty talking about it. I don't it. know. Dude, one of the most fucked-up killers of all time is that, uh, you know... Oh gosh, he was that British killer. Um, what was his name? Oh come on, it's a famous case. Springheel Jack. No. Uh, I'm not gonna remember. Oh what's oh my god, what's his face? <laughs> you talking about Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper. No, I'll have to look it up. But that's a really fucked up case. But it was old school. Huh, I wonder which one you're talking about then, because those are the only two that I really know. I mean, there's a couple others, but... What about, um, Aristotle suggests, what about something Valentine's Day related? Ooh, crimes of passion. Crimes of passion! Well, I mean, most wouldn't most crimes be... Well, I guess not. Not necessarily. Crimes of passion. Ooh, Yeah, crimes of love, crimes of passion. Uh, Yeah, I think there's something there. I don't know. I, like, I, I also think uh, haunted romance. Ooh. Yeah. Well, let's think about it. Yeah. Also, uh, listeners, do you think about it too? Let us know what you think. Yeah. Let us, know, let us know what you want to hear next. I'm down for it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, with that, I got to sign off. How about you? All right. Yeah, let's do it. This has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold, Untold Hour. Hour. Bye. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bizarre. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join The Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.